This episode was brought to you by Platinum Physical Therapy. More on that later. As I was coming up and I wasn't that good yet, it was when you get on the line, like whoever's on the line have to prove that they're better than you that day. Like I don't care what they did or season, I don't care what they did early in the year. When you line up and you give it your all and they give it their all, anything can happen. That was Ajay Wilson, and this is the Running on Om podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to or welcome back to the Running on Om podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I am so grateful that you, yes, you, you have chosen to tune in today. Here on the Running on Own podcast, we feature long-form style conversations with women in endurance sports and in the outdoors. I say this every time and I mean it, although these conversations focus on women's stories, this podcast is for everyone, for everyone to listen to and hopefully be inspired and empowered by. Today's podcast conversation with Ajay Wilson is inspiring. Ajay is a professional middle distance runner specializing in the 800 meters. Ajay actually holds the U.S. record for the 800 meters with a time of 155.61. Ajay represented the U.S. at the 2016 Rio Olympics and has medaled at numerous national and world championships. For all of Ajay's running accolades, she still remains one of the most down-to-earth, humble, and just friendly human beings. It was such a joy to talk with her for this podcast and learn more about her running background, what it was like for her to go pro out of high school. Ajay also reflects on how this time of COVID has really changed her relationship to training and racing. We dig into the highs and lows of her running career thus far. And of course, we discuss our shared love for Beyonce. This was such a fun conversation, and I'm so excited to watch Ajay continue to shine in 2020 and beyond. Now, recently, some folks have reached out to me about the audio quality on the podcast as not being up to par as previous podcast episodes. Well, pre-COVID, I did all my interviews in person, which made the audio quality top-notch. Now, since lockdown, I've transitioned to all my interviews on Skype, and I've had a lot more audio challenges, including this episode's audio quality is not at the highest level. Please know that I'm working hard to get the audio quality as high as it can be while interviewing people remotely and appreciate all of your patience as I work to improve the quality of Rue. As always, reach out if you tune in to today's conversation. I know that thousands of people listen to every episode and until someone reaches out, you bring the podcast to life. Please consider sharing this conversation with someone you know, your running buddy, your coworker, a family member, or maybe with your Instagram community. Nothing beats word of mouth. Okay, friends, let's do this. Let's dive deep with the amazing Ajay Wilson. podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm finding you on a Thursday. Tell me what has been the best part of your day thus far. Ooh, so far, the best part was probably um, after my run, I went to like 
favorite grocery store. store. <laughs> it's maybe like 10, like 10 minutes from where I run the house. And it's one of my favorite because I go there for like my fruits and vegetables, but at the end towards the register, there's a little like candy section and they sell these strawberry licorice that are so good. Um, that I haven't really found anywhere else in the city, but I'm a super, um, I'm a candy, like just obsessed with candy. Um, and so that's probably been the best day so far. The best part of my day so far. I love it. I have a sweet tooth as well. Is this strawberry licorice like locally made, you think? I don't know. I don't think so because I've definitely had flavored licorice. I can't believe like we're starting to stop talking about licorice, but this is I've had a lot of like, different flavors of licorice. Um, I remember I used to get uh, like blueberry and green apple back home in Jersey. So I don't think it's like local here, um, but it's super good and I found it. So I keep going back. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. So your run today, you mentioned you ran on the trails. What is our normal Thursday training run for you like? Is it workout day, recovery? So we don't really have a strict schedule. Like we work out on days or we do long runs Tuesdays. We kind of just um, go with the flow in the sense that the weather sometimes iffy. And um, if we're not feeling great, my cultural just So today happened to be kind of a recovery day. We worked out yesterday, so today I just have 45 minutes, and then tomorrow we'll work out again. And so I can't help but ask, what was your workout yesterday? Um, yesterday was tough. Yesterday we did uh, five 800s, and the tough part about it was all the pace was consistent. We thought we were just done after the first five 800s, so the last one, I'm like, all right, last one, next one, let's give a mile. We finished, and he's like, yeah, guys, I keep reminding you, like, you need to hit the time that I tell you to hit because you're not done. <laughs> we got three or five hundreds. And at that point, it was just like, just hold on. Hold on to whatever you got left. Um, but that was our workout. It was tough, but we made it through. We made it through. Wow, that sounds yeah. really brutal. Does your coach usually have, like, a surprise at the end? It's not really a surprise, but generally... We don't know what we're doing until, like, we have to do it. So we'll do our warm up, we'll do our drills, and then he usually gives us, gives us, like, one rep at a time or, like, one chunk at a time. So um, we don't really know, like, what's coming next usually. So you kind of just have to <laughs> do what you got. And he's usually really good at judging our effort. So it's usually pretty accurate when I'm done, like, the workout's done. Yeah. <laughs> And you train with some amazing women. What is that dynamic like? Like, even during the workout yesterday, did you have anyone running with you, ahead of you, behind you? Yeah, so right now, um, our team's kind of sort of spread out. And, you know, because of the COVID, things aren't really super um, normal. But Sierra Brown, Samantha Watson, and Ursula Farrow right now are here training. And... Um, Sierra and I are at different points in training right now, so she's way ahead of me, largely speaking. So yesterday was a lot of, hey, um, how do you feel? How do I feel? I can leave this one. Hey, I can give you 400 in this one. Um, because at that point, too, it's like I may not be in like the same shape, but I still want to pull my weight and do my part and you know, help her get better as well and her in the same way. 
That's super cool. That's awesome. And so tell me a little bit about, let's just back up for a second. You are an American record holder. You're a national champion many times. Like you have an incredible running resume. Tell me about your beginnings as a runner. What was your first running memory? Uh, My first running memory, my timeline sometimes, but when I think about when I first started running and like um, just first starting the sport, I think about my dad and I used to race each other in 5Ks locally. So there was one in particular that was with our 5K and um, we'd run and after they had like snacks and donuts and drinks and so it was super it was a super fun meet and um as we started doing more of those my dad started training me and even to this day like sometimes friends or neighbors from back home who I didn't even know were around they're like oh I remember when you and your dad used to run all through the neighborhood up and down the hill I'm like you guys saw that um (laughs) so those are my first memories um of track really um, just running and training with my dad through, through town. We run to the beach or bike around. Yeah. And what was your dad's running background? Was he also like a professional runner at a time? Now, my dad's main sport was football. He kind of did a little bit of everything. He was super athletic. Um, growing up, whenever I had run to like his friends or stuff around town, they're like, yeah, man, your dad was quite the athlete like, when he was younger. And if he was there especially, he would just get kind of like quiet and shy and laugh. But, um, so he was super athletic and he ran track, but it wasn't his main sport. Um, football was his main sport and as he got older, he got into powerlifting. Um, so he kind of was just, I think he was figuring it out as he went, and he knew his body, and he knows how to train, so, um, yeah, he figured it out, and it was going pretty well initially. That's amazing. And so when did you join your first track team or track club? So I joined my first track club when I was nine, and my younger sister, we're Irish twins, so she's, like, less than a year younger than me, even though for, like, those two weeks. We're the same age. She's aware she's older than me. Um, but she joined first, and she'd come home, and she'd rave about how fun it was, how many friends she had, like, how cool her coach was. And so I was like, hey, I want to try it. Like, I want to <laughs> have fun at practice. So that's how I started running. I originally was a soccer girl. That was my main sport. I played basketball and softball as well. Um but yeah, she she was the one that got me into into track. When do you first remember it being something that you realized you had a natural capacity for, or when people started recognizing, "Wow, Audrey's really good." Um, I think probably my second or third year running. My first year out, I did the four hundred and four by one. Believe it or not, <laughs> and. Uh, I went to the like, Junior Olympic Nationals that year for the 400. Um, I got 10th, and I was just like, oh, like this is fun. I got to travel. But it wasn't something that I was like, oh, this is going to be my new thing. Um, I think the next year at practice, my coach was like, hey, okay, guys, just run as many laps as you can. And I don't know how many I did, but I just did a bunch of laps. So I Switched events. I started doing the 3,000, the 1,500, 
and sometimes I do the eight. And I think that first year of running was when it was like, okay, you kind of have something here. But I think for me personally, kind of buying in and seeing that for myself, it wasn't until like my senior year of high school. Wow. Senior year of high school. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about senior year of high school. Did you feel a lot of pressure? I'm in sophomore year. <laughs> oh, sophomore. Okay. Sophomore. sophomore. <laughs> My sophomore year of high school is when I was like, oh, this is something that like, I'm pretty good at. And if I try harder, I could be really good. Yeah. Yeah. So what did trying harder in high school look like for you? So... My poor high school coach, Ms. Dawn. Shout out to Coach Dawn. <laughs> um, I was just, like, super carefree, super just, I'm just here for, largely for the camaraderie of it. So, in middle school, after middle school, I went to a different high school. So, when I come over to train at Neptune, it was, like, when I was seeing all of my friends that I didn't get to see anymore. So, it was a little bit hard to stay focused and to actually like commit myself to training I think at that time the longest runs I would I was doing 25 minutes the longest the hardest workout we had was like a mile sprint 100 jog 100 and back then that was super intense so um it just came with doing more workouts like taking things more seriously and then um as that started to kind of pay off my high school coach she was a um, 100 hurdler for at LSU um, Olympic Trials qualifier. She got fourth at the Olympic Trials. And she was like, hey, I think you have something special, and I don't think that, you know, I have the knowledge to kind of get you to that next level, so I think you should find a new coach. Um, and so after that, I started training with the coach that I have now, Derek Thompson. And, um, again, it was a step up in training. And seeing kind of sparks and learning about what other opportunities are out there, mainly for traveling, um, <laughs> is is what kind of kick-started that fire of, hey, I want to see where this can take me. Wow. That's really amazing that she recognized that she didn't have, like, the full toolbox to take you to the next level. That's, like, a lot of humility. I don't know if many coaches could do that. Yeah, it, it did. And at the time, there were a lot of, other athletes um, in our state who were really good talk to me sometimes and they had issues with, hey, I want to train with this other coach, but if I do, my high school coach isn't going to let me compete for my high school. And so it was that that friction, but um, at her 50th birthday party this year, I got up and I gave a speech and kind of just touched on how appreciative and um, looking back, that was a, a really big moment, I think, for me in my career that she had that kind of foresight. Yeah. So what was it like first meeting Coach Thompson? I mean, he's been in your life now for so long, but what was that first meeting like? Uh, our first meeting, he'll probably never let me live in him, but we met after um, Indoor Nationals my sophomore year, and my mom and my coach were talking about me training with someone else, and I was trained with uh, Coach GP at Point Pleasant, and I was just over switching coaches. I wanted to stay with Ms. Dawn originally. And so now it's like, I have to go to another coach. So I was, I was not thrilled. And so my mom said, we'll just give him 10 minutes and just 
have a conversation, hear them out, and we'll go from there. And so we sat down, we talked, and I started my watch when I sat down. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> so rude. But I was just over the, the change. I'm super, like, I like things how I like them. I like consistency. I like my patterns. And so when 10 minutes hit, I was just like zoned out. I started watching the races again, and I was like, well, I did what I had to do, and I was kind of just over it, and it wasn't until like a few months later that we actually reconnected and I started training with him, and meeting him like in his element at the track was a completely different experience. When we left, I was like, hey, mom, like, I think this is, I think this is going to work out. Like, uh, I like him. This is, this is where I want to be. So, yeah. I love that you timed the first interaction. I'm like, you couldn't be more track oriented. (laughs) This is an interval here. (laughs) What has been the biggest growth or maybe biggest challenge you two have faced in your coach athlete relationship? Because you've been together for a while. Yeah, we have. Um, I think he's had to do a lot of teaching a lot of teaching is kind of as you can hear the background that I was coming from um from high school super like inexperienced um I wasn't as like focused or as disciplined as you know I would ultimately need to be to work professionally so he had to do a lot of hand holding a lot of like breaking of bad habits uh and a lot of just being patient and you know, t- bringing me along slowly and not as, I think it'd be easy for a coach to come and say, okay, you're coming out of high school, but this is where you need to perform. Super mileage, like super disciplined, super intense, hard workouts. But he was mindful to, you know, bring me along slowly. And I think even though it was slowly, it still sometimes wasn't slow enough for me. <laughs> and so I think that's where some of our, our, our challenges came of, you know, me kind of being resistant to uh, fully commit to the lifestyle that I would need to to run professionally. Um, but I think when I started seeing success and like things kind of panning out and it being worth it and finding my own balance between, you know, who I wanted to be on the track, who I wanted to be off the track, um, things kind of settled out and, and we, we found our groove and it's it's been working since so I love that I mean it sounds like there's a dance that you two are you know you're both a part of figuring out what's the rhythm the pace here for sure in high school when did you recognize that you could go professional I know you had looked at Florida State mm-hmm. as the place you were going to go but what was that decision to then decide hey I'm going to forego this and focus on my professional career well, it wasn't until, like, I think it was maybe three weeks or, like, a month before I was supposed to leave for Florida State that, for one, I learned that professional running is a thing, um, and for two, that it was an option or, or a possibility. Um, like I said, I didn't know anything about, not a lot about training, not a lot about running, um, I wasn't really a student of the sport. It was just something that I loved to do. I loved, you know, being connected with my teammates who um, have always kind of merged into being family. Um, 
And yeah, it wasn't until the opportunity presented itself that I was like, oh, now I have to kind of make a, make a decision here. Wow. Was that an easy decision to make? Hard? What was that like? It was, initially, it was super hard. And I think the biggest um, challenge was just mentally of, this is not normal, like, this is not what people do. And like I said, I like my patterns, I like my structure, I like knowing what's going on. And um, this this direction would kind of have me stepping into the unknown of, I, I didn't know um, at the time, like, how training was going to pan out, because when I started training with Derek, I was still living in Jersey. And so I'd just see him once a week. I'd drive up, I'd work out, and then he'd send me my workouts through the rest of the year, so... Um, I didn't know anything about agents, contracts, any of that stuff. So just being fearful of like, okay, what am I supposed to do? How is this going to go? And more importantly, like, am I going to be successful? And I think what ultimately helped with that decision was just thinking about why I, you know, from a younger age started getting serious about track was just the potential of earning an academic scholarship. So when I talked to Adidas and like, hey, we'll pay for you to go to school. And that was what my, like, one of my biggest goals were coming up. It, it made that decision a lot more um, easy to make because I was I was still getting out of it what I, what I wanted to. Regardless if I was successful or not, I was going to get my degree and um, I could figure things out as they came or even after the fact if I wasn't successful. So you did go to Temple and earn your degree, which is awesome. During that time, did you ever have any regrets of not having experienced collegiate athletics? Uh, I didn't have any regrets of um, experiencing collegiate athletics. Um, Early in my career, I was still training with um, my coach's club team. So I was the oldest one on the team. It ranged from like, six years old, so I think the oldest at the time might have been 17. So <laughs> I didn't have any training partners, um, and it worked because he, like, staggered the kids, and I have to, like, catch them for certain runs. So training-wise, it worked. But uh, just having that comparison of being on a college team and, you know, I was used to middle school and high school having teammates that were, like, my girls. So it was... Um, I feel like that was one of the few things where I was like, man, this is just one thing that I missed out on um, from not running collegially. But as for competing, um, I still I still was getting that like competitive desire kind of fuel through competition. So I didn't really I didn't really miss that aspect of it. You've had, I'm sure, a lot of female teammates at this point with your track club. Who's been one teammate that's really influenced you and impacted you? Oh, um, so my first few, after, like, initially training with the club team, um, I had two male teammates first, Terrence Lee and Javon Rainford, who were kind of like my, um, my, my pacers, and I just try and stay as close to them as possible. Um, so they were super helpful of just, uh, kind of pushing me outside of boundaries that I thought I had. And then after that, I'd say most influential teammate has been Charlene Lipsy. She came to train with us in 2017. Um, and 
We knew each other on the circuit in the years prior, her and Chanel Price. I have her super good friends. Um, and so I convinced her to come out and, you know, our, our bond through training personally, um, I think just helps me grow as an athlete and helps me commit to training and, um, push myself because I think at that point it was like, if I'm not getting better, she's not getting better. And similarly, she's like, if I'm not getting better, Jay's not getting better. So, uh, that, that there's a thing that iron sharpens iron. So we just kind of fed off of each other. And, um, again, with building habits and creating a program and a structure that you're proud of and that you believe in, like she played a big part in that. So, to how I train to this day. Yeah. That's so cool. Are you still training together? We are right now. She's, um, she's been rehabbing from an injury, so she's kind of slowly building up, but she'll be back in full force in September. So I'm excited to have her back and, you know, get back at it again. Yeah. I mean, injury is a big part of professional running, unfortunately, what has been your journey with injuries and have you faced any challenging injuries that have taken you away? Um, yeah, I'd say my biggest injury was um, 2015 and I had a stress reaction in my shin. Um, I ended up writing for most of the season with it. Um, qualified for the World Championship team that summer and ended up having to pull out like two weeks before because it was just super painful. Um, it was a tough lesson to learn, but it definitely taught me the importance of catching injuries early and um, just being super proactive. So if I if I feel like something's off or something's bothering me, unfortunately, I'm understanding that hey, take some time off, get treatment. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to kind of dig yourself into a hole because it's just going to be harder to get out of. So. Um, by that standard, I haven't had any more physical injuries. I feel like the other thing that I've kind of dealt with is just being borderline and like having low iron and having to figure out how to, you know, fuel both of my diet and also supplement and just stay on top of that so that I'm, I'm always running on 100. Yeah. How is, how are you right now? How's your anemia stuff and how do you, like, on a day-to-day basis navigate that because a lot of runners struggle with anemia stuff issue um i'm coming off of a i think it's my second week back from like taking off two weeks because i just was yeah i hit a, I hit a low and although my iron wasn't like super low as it, as it was when i first found out that like it was an issue um I've just been more mindful of kind of like what that starts to look like and how differently I feel. So I kind of caught things early and was just like super proactive. Let's just take some time off and build up again. So, um, feeling great. Training's building back up again. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something that you kind of have to keep learning with, keep adjusting with as, as you go on, the more mindful and, of where you are with body and what's going on, the, the easier that is. Yeah, it's definitely a learning, a listening. I mean, stepping back for a minute, this time next year is the Olympics, you know, mm-hmm. and 
you made it to the 2016 Olympics. What does it feel like to not have the Olympics happening this summer? And what has COVID been like for you and your training and personally? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Both answers, but initially, um, initially it was, I think my first feelings was the Olympics were just like, I just needed to know that they weren't going to happen and that they were canceled because my first, my first reaction was there are a lot of people in my life who are part of the um, at-risk population for COVID. So my first thoughts are, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing my part so that nothing's happening to them as well. That, that came first and foremost. But then there was the kind of anxiousness that came with, okay, cool, we're back to our training, we're not meeting up anymore, but if there's no Olympics, like, am I going to be ready, you know? Um, so once they officially canceled them, it was, um, I think the relief kind of overshadowed the disappointment I think I would have had if these weren't the, the circumstances. Um, and after that, it was just focusing on the tentative schedule that they said there was going to be. Things have kind of been up and down with that. So um, from March to June, it was, you know, just base training, long runs, a lot of aerobic work. Um, everyone was by themselves. And beginning of June, we started doing like every uh, twice a week, three times a week sometimes, and kind of getting back into some good things um, for, the, for the chance of racing. I think for this season, I won't be racing, but um, we'll definitely do some time trials probably towards the end of August, end of September, maybe. What is it like for you to train alone? It sounds like you do love teammates and community and camaraderie. So what were those months like? Yeah, initially it was very weird. It was super weird and I was a little like nervous because I'm like, I'm never really trained on my own um, ever. Like I've always had someone to kind of like either be around or train with. So um, I didn't think I would like it, but oddly enough, like I found that I actually really did enjoy training alone. Like, I enjoyed still touching base with my teammates that we work out on Zoom three times a week. Um, but, like, solo long runs um, and workouts, I felt like I was just hyper-focused and I wasn't worried about, like, am I staying on pace? Am I, like, running the right pace with our group? Am I making sure that you know, I'm in good positioning. It was just listening to my body and, and pushing myself. And so, um, yeah, it's been, it was, like it was a, a pretty easy adjustment training on my own. And then getting back with the group, it, it just made it that much, that much better when um, we all were coming back and um, training with other people. It's a different dynamic. You get a little bit more out of it, so... Let's take a quick break for me to share with all of you about my friends at Platinum Physical Therapy. I first started going to Platinum PT earlier this year when I was just so sick and tired of having plantar fasciitis and issues that prevented me from running and adventuring. I tried to solve this issue with many other specialists and nothing had worked. Well, I started working with James Cassidy, the founder of Platinum PT, 
and his approach to my health and running was a complete game changer. Week after week, he addressed my running and injuries holistically, and week after week, I just felt better. My running became more and more consistent, and the issues that had plagued me finally started to subside. Platinum PT has three locations just outside of Boston, and their physical therapists work one-on-one with you every step of the way. Being runners themselves makes a huge difference as they really do understand how important it is for athletes to return to the sport they love in a sustainable and healthy way. Platinum PT have a range of cash services on offer as well as regular PT, including Altergy treadmill, strength and conditioning programs, and dry needling. Now they also have a full telehealth program so you can be anywhere in the world and gain access to their team of incredible professionals. I have so, so much gratitude for James, the entire team at Platinum PT, and if you are in an injury cycle or you're just looking to build strength and long-term stability, head over to www.platinumptma.com for more information on all of their in-person and telehealth services and book an appointment today. Okay, friends, let's get back to our conversation with Ajay. I want to geek out for a moment. I know in the 800, there's oftentimes two camps, a perspective of kind of training at it from more of like a sprinter's perspective versus more of like the long endurance stuff. Where do you think you fall in it? And for like, what is your long run? What's the duration of a long run for you? Um, and do you feel like you come at it from more of a, like a long, slow or a short, fast? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think. Um, I'm more of an 815 girl, right? So like you're saying, you're either a 48 girl or 815. I think I'm more of a, a strength-based runner, um, but I have enough speed to kind of go with that to give me a little bit of a, a, a nice balance. Um, I think initially, especially once I started training with Derek, it was, it was hard to kind of transition to that type of training because I'd say for majority of the year, at least a good 70% of the year, we train like we're preparing for the 1500. So it's not until we start getting closer to race time that it's more like age specific and, um, you know, shorter stuff. So my body seems to respond well to that. And, you know, I got my start in the longer distances, the 3,000 on a mile. And I was in high school, I thought that the mile was going to be my thing. So um, I definitely think that that's my strength wise and we're in the eight and um, on that thing where, like, as I get older and as I start inevitably getting slower when it comes to the fast switch stuff, I definitely... I don't think you're um, getting slower. Let's just... Transition to the 50. Let's yeah. just be clear. You are not getting slower. <laughs> <laughs> like, speed-wise. Speed-wise, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a hit, but, um, you know, transitioning, you'll get stronger. You can always become faster by getting stronger. Yeah. I love that. In 2017, you set the U.S. record at a race in Monaco, running 155.61. Tell me about that race. Like, break it down for me. What did it feel like? Take me there. Yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite races um, during my career so far. Um, and that race, and most of the races that I've started are running really Island, the commonality is that it doesn't feel like I'm running that fast. Like, it doesn't, it feels easy. It feels like, um, you know, 
in the moment, but like also not, you know. So uh, the first, I think the first lap it was just I just commit and stay close. I think when I first started running pro, that was the toughest part about the transition, committing to the hard paces out of the first 400. Um, so that's still something to say I have to remind myself of, like go with it. And then with 300 to go, um, I was surprised at how good I still felt. Um, and most of the steps started coming up, and I'm like, man, I was going to settle, but I can't settle now. So I guess we're just going. And coming off of the top of the turn, I'm like, man, I'm kind of in this. And I think I got a little too antsy, so I'm like, let's just go for it. And in hindsight, I definitely should have probably waited a little longer to like, give it one final kick, but you know, with 20, 30 meters to go, it, it caught up to me. But um, when I finished and I looked at the time, I'm like, no way. Jeez. Like, I didn't feel like that's how fast I ran, but it was also like super just exciting. It was pumped, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do this again. Like, let's, let's go. And that's probably the most excited after a race. And time was tied. Even before I taught, saw the time, it was just super exhilarating to feel competitive and to feel like I had, you know, taken it, taken everything out of the bank. I feel like usually I'm kind of a, a right to win, a do what you have to um, type runner, but I think that race and some of my favorite races over the years have been when I really felt like I had to um, go to the well and, and give it all I had. That's so interesting. How do you think you get yourself into that space, or do you almost just walk into that space mentally? Yeah, it kind of, it's kind of just a, a switch, and I remember it being a thing since I was a kid, you know, being super competitive with my older sister. She's three years older than me, and um, especially with my dad, like some of my earliest memories of running and sport in general um, include, like, competing against him, and the funny thing, I was talking to a teammate about it the other day, and I'm looking back, and I'm like, he never took it easy on me. Like, we play basketball, he's boxing me out, we're playing soccer, it's like a 10-0 blowout, like, <laughs> and so I think early on I learned that regardless, like, you just gotta be greedy, gotta get after it, and he did not care if I was losing, so I had no choice but to kind of, like, do better, you know, um, and I think that kind of transitioned into, um, how I view racing, how I train, and how I end up competing of, you know, the, you just have to get better, you just have to do better. Nobody, nobody cares about anything else, and you shouldn't either. Just, just commit and, and go for it. And that race was a high high, you know, like, it sounds like you just were in it, in the zone, it clicked. Right. Tell me about a race that was a low low, like that was really disappointing, or didn't go as planned. Yeah, I feel like there's been a good handful of the races, <laughs> and I think they're usually most disappointing when I feel great going into them, and I'm like, okay, training's been going well, um, I feel like I'm ready, and I race, and that's not what shows up, that's not what happens. Um, I feel like one of the, I don't remember the year, but I raced in Birmingham one time, and I was like, okay, um, feeling good, competition's great, like, this, this should be a good race, and I just completely bombed, and more disappointingly, when I finished, 
um, I just felt terrible. And I'm like, when you feel terrible with that time, like, what is going on? Um, so there's definitely been races like that uh, in between. But I kind of, some way to how I take my, my wins is like, okay, that race was yesterday. Now, what's next? You know, what do you, what do you do the week before, what you did the year before? Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter. And that goes back to when I first started running, my mom always just say, um, as I was coming up and I wasn't that good yet, it was when you get on the line, like whoever's on the line have to prove that they're better than you that day. Like I don't care what they did early in the season, I don't care what they did early in the year. When you line up and you give it your all and they give it their own, anything can happen you know, you kinda just go at it with that approach and so even though, you know, sometimes I'm in a different position, I still look at it that way of um I might be have the fastest time on paper, but do I have the fastest time today? <laughs> you know, you, you gotta show up when it when it matters. Yeah, there's a real humility in that actually, I think, acknowledging that yeah, you might be the American record holder in the event and on that day you still have to prove it. Do you have any mental te- techniques that you use for like the last 200, 100 of an, of an 800 meter where you're probably just running out of gas, as you said? Like, how do you keep yourself pushing? Yeah, I kind of, I think throughout the entire race, I try to just allow myself consistently. Like, I, I think that's one of the funniest things about, about racing. If you're reminding yourself, to stay relaxed, even though you know you're not relaxed. Like, you know that you're pushing yourself to the limit. So that's something I think about. And um, another thing that my mom used to tell me when I was younger and, you know, my first coaches was that last 200, that last 150. Um, like, everybody's tired. Everybody's feeling the same exact thing. Um, you don't know, like, if two steps from, like, when you give up, that person was ready to tap out, right? So I think that's where I go of, um, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> we're all feeling the same way. All I have to do is endure. That's all I got to do. <laughs> I love that word, endure. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Do you think that over the course of the next year, as you prepare for Tokyo, do you want to transition to the 15? Do you want to stay with the eight? Where's your mind at with those races? Yeah, definitely want to stay with the 800. Um, I think the 1500, especially the way that, you know, women around the world are running it now, there's no allure to kind of get there any faster than what my, what my body allows. As long as I'm, um, you know, able to be super competitive in the eight, I'll stay here as long as I can until I can't. So. The 15 at this point will still just be for strength work and um, to kind of build towards that base. But um, I don't see myself taking it super seriously for, for next year. You spoke to the fact that there's a lot of women around the world, especially American distance running is incredible. And someone we share in common is Dr. Madeline Mims, who's a huge pioneer in the sport of distance running what has dr madeline taught you either about running or about life well we first met in um 2017 at nationals 
and she was leading a Bible study. And that was something that, you know, I try to remind myself, and it's something that I've kind of carried with me throughout my career. She's super big on, you know, seeing the big picture and realizing that, hey, try to something that you do, it's something that you're still committed to, and results matter, but it's not, like, everything. It's not the, it's not who you are. It's not your entire work as a person. So, especially that year when it was super stressful and, um, I feel like pressure was just, like, weighing on me. At that time, she was uh, a really good person to use and kind of remember to step back, think of a big, bigger picture, and um, just ease some of those nerves, for sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking to that idea of you as more than just an athlete, you know, you as more than just a professional runner, but you as a human being, what are things outside of running that bring you joy and ground you? I we kind of touched on that, like I'm super social, so some of my favorite things um, to do is um, like have game nights, card games, board games. Since COVID, like I've had a few Zoom game nights, um, and it's funny because I definitely think I'm way more like overtly competitive when I'm playing card games or taboo than I am on the track, and it's weird. But, yeah, I'm known as the resident trash talker, like, on our team, for sure. Um, I also love crafting. Um, I love music. What have you been crafting? Uh, well, right now, I've been um, working on, like, putting together love banks. So I volunteer with an organization called Sankofa Healing Studio, and their mission is to provide therapy to women and branching into like children and families who've been um, impacted by the criminal justice system. So the project right now is we're creating love bags, love meaning, loving our existence and stuffing them with like cosmetics and um, toiletries, self-care items um, to give out to the community on the weekend. So uh her name's Jackie. Jackie printed out, like, vinyl, so I've been cutting, and I've got a little, like, press machine here in my room making bags for, for the event um, this weekend. Uh, before this, I think my first intro to crafting was for Jackie, and we've done, like, baby showers, super over-the-top and elaborate, like, <laughs> baby showers, birthday parties, um... We threw a birthday party from our coach one time, so I kind of just realized that I enjoy just the, like, mundane, intricate, kind of, like, rhythm of, of crafting, so that's something that I've been doing a lot of during quarantine, and just in general, I, I try to find new projects. I love that. That's so sweet that you're able to give back in that way, and you did mention you love music. We both love Beyonce. Let's talk about her. Have you met Beyonce yet? So I've not met Beyonce yet, but I've been within like 400 meters of her. So <laughs> I went to see her in concert in, 20, um, in 2017. Um, she came to Philly and it was the like one of the highlights of my life. And it was... I think initially I was just a fan because I like her music. I, I love her voice. Um, 
But at some point, like, I was on YouTube, and I got into, like, one of those YouTube cycles of, like, finding a bunch of different videos on the same topic. But a lot of them were about just, like, her work ethic and her journey and, you know, kind of how she found her way in the industry, how she, I think, super impressively, you know, took control of her life and her career and her destiny. So I just thought that was super inspiring, and it's... um something that I wanted to transfer over to my own life. So then going to see her concert and, you know, reading about how the lights, the music, the dancers, the costume, all of the choices that went into this like, two-hour-long show, like, she had a hand in, was just super, like, mind-blowing and genius and impressive to me. So I became, like, part of the beehive on that day, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> So how did you get so close to her? So I just, I admittedly, like, paid a nice amount of money for some tickets. <laughs> and it was still, like, a big, like, it was a, a big gap. We had a measuring tape, and she held one, and I held one, and it'd be 400 meters, about. I wasn't super close to the stage, but that's, like, my go-to fact <laughs> kind of about how close I've been to Beyonce. I love it. And what is your most listened to Beyonce song or, and favorite Beyonce song to run to? Most listened to? Most listened to might be... Most listened to is too hard. It, it definitely goes through phases. <laughs> so right now, I feel like my most listened to song by her is Black Parade, um, and my favorite song by her is I Was Here, and that's my career song, that's my getting in the zone, getting ready to compete, go-to. That's amazing. Do you have any aspiration of, like, meeting her someday, or were you okay with the 400-meter distance? I was definitely satisfied with those seats, but <laughs> if there's ever the option, the potential... The slight spur of a possibility, I for sure would would love to talk At the same time, I definitely would be a loser about it and wouldn't have anything valuable to say in the moment. I think I'd be like so starstruck and just say, "Hey, I just really love you. I think you're great." <laughs> I've seen a picture of you and Obama, though. I mean, you've met some important people. Oh my goodness, that was. Let's talk about that. That was hard. That we have, um, so I, I was really cool during that trip with Renee Colo and um, Christina. I don't remember her last name. I just call her Fire Dolphins. I want to call her Christina Fire Dolphins, but I know that's not her name, but that was just a nickname. Um, and so we walked through together, and I was super nervous. And I'm like, hi, Sir Barbara. Like, can I have a hug? And he's like, yeah. And then I go through, and <laughs> Michelle's like, oh, like, I don't remember what she said to me at this point, but she said something, and it was, like, triggered by the time I shake Michelle Biden's hand, and I'm walking out, I'm in tears, like, oh, my gosh, that was so incredible, this is such an experience. <laughs> Meanwhile, Courtney and Christina are just cracking up laughing, <laughs> and at this point, I'm laughing because the tears are sad. I was just super happy, and um, that's kind of just like how I react when I'm super happy. Um, but yeah, it was easily like one of the best experiences that I've, I've had through running. 
Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever cried happy tears after a running race? Uh, no, not after a race. Um, I think usually, at least within like 10, 15 minutes, like I've never felt like, oh, that was just a walk in the park. I, I felt like that wasn't as hard as it felt, but um, it, it usually settles in too fast for me to be too happy. <laughs> that, that pain settles in within 15 minutes, and yeah, I don't, I don't have the the capacity to be that happy to overbalance the, the pain. Last <laughs> time, though, I, I got to shout out my teammates. So for my birthday this year, they um they recorded like a lip sync cover to Countdown. Uh, and they all like had a little outfit and they did their own little parts. And it was like, happy birthday. Like we did this because we thought you like Beyonce. And maybe like 20 seconds into the video, I'm cracking up, laughing, crying, like that's beyond Zoom because I'm just so happy and being super special and super loved. So shout out to them. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I react when I'm super like happy. <laughs> oh, I want to see this video. You should share it. And it's so, be you have to make sure like they're okay with it, but, um, yeah, it's it's definitely like on the cloud. It's on my computer. I'm like, I never want to lose this. <laughs> That's so sweet. So I read that in high school, if you ran a 204, your parents would get you a puppy, and you didn't cry when you got a puppy. It's no, not true. Because it's not I honestly true. didn't think they were going to get me the puppy. Like we had pets growing up. Usually it was for like, hey, if you run well, you can get ice cream after, or you know, for small stuff. And so when we were talking about like running fast, I'm like, well, if I run to a four, can I get a puppy? I was like, yeah. And in hindsight, she's like, I didn't think you were going to run that fast. <laughs> and when I did, that wasn't something that I was going for. So it's kind of like, oh, I wonder if that's still going to be a thing. And yeah, they, they honored their deal. And I got my, I got my Zeus. <laughs> oh, is Zeus still alive? He is. Yep. Okay. You just celebrated his 10th birthday on May 10th. Happy birthday, Zeus. Yes. <laughs> so aside from getting a licorice sponsor in the <laughs> upcoming year, which will have hey, a, candy. a candy sponsor, what are your other goals and dreams for the year? And do you, do you write your goals down? Do you say them out loud? Um, I don't generally write goals down I think usually depending on the year it's it's kind of just like arbitrary goals if there's a team I'm gonna make it if you know the staple races that I run every year like no roads um nationals um I just have in the back of my head that these are races that I want to win um and I think unwritten kind of I'm sad. I just want to be as consistent as possible, as consistently fast as possible. So, to me, a, a, a great season for it would be being able to run my 56, my 57 consistently. Um, as, as I go throughout, you know, the, the next few years of my career. And then looking forward next year, making that Olympic team, um, and hopefully, most, probably goals. 
are definitely on uh, on my list of things that I want to accomplish. Those are big dreams. That's that's awesome. I love that you're owning it. I mean, you've made the 2016 Olympics. What does it mean to you to be an Olympian already? Because so many people, I feel like that's the goal is just to get to the Olympics. And now you're like, I'm going to go there again. Yeah, I think initially, um, so 2016 is the first year that I kind of had serious uh, like impactful issues with my iron. And at the time, I didn't know that's why I wasn't running as well or feeling as great as I should have been. So I went to the Olympics, if not in the position, like especially mind frame that I wanted to be in. Like I was going to compete and I was going to see how far I can make it. I wasn't going with like super huge ambitions of like, I think I can win. I think I can get a medal just because I wasn't, I, I was realistic about how I felt and about what I thought it would take to do that. And I knew that I wasn't there. So it was, I think, athletically, I kind of like was more experience, but off the track of being able to, you know, connect, connect with other people, see other events, it was easily like one of the funnest, best meets I've ever been to. So being able to hopefully get that opportunity again in this essential position um, is super exciting. I think it, you know, it was an experience. I think this time around, regardless of how I feel or... Um, how I'm coming into, I definitely think I'm going to, you know, take full advantage of it and, and soak it up for everything that it is. I, 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 I hope, I pray that I'm, you know, blessed enough to see a few more, maybe two more Olympics after this one. I was reading, um, when I first met Miss Dr. Manning, uh, that she was in three Olympics, she would have been four if we didn't boycott. I'm just like, wow. That is 10-time national champion. I think, I don't remember which year. So I guess when she won in 68, she set the Olympic record. I'm like, man, those are accomplishments. Those are things that, you know, you kind of dream of achieving as, as I've gotten older. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited about the future and excited to see what I can do. I'm so excited for you. You're such a rock star. <laughs> and you have so much ahead of you. It's amazing. Earlier, you said the word endure. Mm-hmm. Do you have a word, a statement, a mantra that keeps you going or you'll think about even tomorrow in your workout? The first thing I think of through workouts, it's kind of like a running yoga practice when you're super tired or um, this workout is just kicking your butt. I just remind myself that like nobody cares <laughs> like nobody says feel sorry for you you can't feel sorry for yourself like when you walk away from practice this won't matter so you may as well give it all you got like and similarly and I, I think that's why I love I was here it's kind of like my go-to get pumped up song because uh, some of the lyrics says I'm trying not to sing it <laughs> I get the words uh Everything that I wanted was more than I thought it would be. Um, I want to leave my marks on the sands of time. I want to say that I gave my all, I gave my best, I gave my last. And so just realizing that every opportunity you have, every rep you're able to run, um, like matters. And you kind of have to commit to because you don't know if it's your 
last one. I hope that doesn't sound too like <laughs> dismal, but um, yeah, just I think appreciating the opportunities you have, even though sometimes they become so like mundane that they don't seem that they are anymore. That's beautiful. Wow, I love that. There's so many more questions, but I also want to be mindful of your time. You live in Philly. You train in Philly. Where's the best place to run in Philly? So I, my favorite place to run is probably Valley Stream. I'm going to call it the and Trails. And especially in the summer, it's shaded. It's, um, it's along like a little creek. It's super earthy. It's nature sounds like on with music. So I like just like that dance, ambiance that's down there. Um, but probably I'd say the best place for, like, training and improvements, just because it's super hard, is this place we train at called Curtis Park, and it's super hilly, and you have, like, a 500-meter loop that we do runs on that is just so intense, but I definitely think it's, it's one of the places we train that I get the most out of. I love it. Is there anything we haven't touched upon that you want to share or talk about? I think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then it's a wrap. This yeah, was right. so... And then when we hang up, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can do this again in person at some point on the other side of COVID. Um, I so, so appreciate you, Ajay. And... You have so much more in store for you. I'm so excited to see what is to come in 2021 and beyond. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. It's been a lot of fun. This podcast was sponsored by Platinum PT. Platinum Physical Therapy have three locations outside of Boston and have been a major contributor in my ability to run healthy this year. Now, I started working with James Cassidy, the founder of Platinum PT, back in January, and I have been truly blown away by the holistic care and improvements I've seen. Platinum PT have a range of services outside of PT, including an altergy, dry needling, and full telehealth capabilities for those of you who aren't based locally, so you can gain access to their incredible team of professionals from anywhere in the world. Now, if you're in an injury rut or you just want to get stronger in your sport, check out PlatinumPTMA.com for more information on all of their services and book an appointment today. Isn't Ajay awesome? I just so enjoyed talking with her and I'm excited to watch her shine in 2020 and 2021 as she tries to make another Olympic team. Please do reach out to us on Instagram if you tune in today and consider sharing the podcast with your Instagram community, a family member, a friend, or someone you know who also loves Beyonce. You all know it's that time in the outro. I read an iTunes review, and if it's your review, reach out to me after hearing it and I'll send you a little something via snail mail. On August 20th, Megan Runs 261 writes, The conversations on this podcast are so inspiring, deep, and authentic. I love Julia's calming and joyful nature. Listening to this podcast always sparks insightful reflection within myself, and I always feel more joyful and peaceful after listening to each episode. Thank you, thank you, Megan Runs 261 for your review, and I am honored to know that the podcast sparks reflection within you. That's really my dream for it. 
please reach out to me at runningonome at gmail.com with your address so that I can send you a little something. Everyone know that leaving iTunes reviews are just a huge help in spreading the word about the podcast. If you've already left a review, thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you haven't done so yet, it's going to take you less than two minutes, and I will be a forever fan of yours. Next week on the podcast, Marilyn Okoro, another 800-meter runner extraordinaire and Olympian, comes on. It's a really powerful conversation as Marilyn speaks openly about her journey with body acceptance and mental health challenges, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. Stay tuned. Thank you to the incredible podcast team that makes Rue a reality. That's Nick Errol for podcast management, Tim Briggs for design, John Summerford for audio production, Caitlin Marie Minor Ong for illustration. Thank you. Thank you to this team. Thank you. Yes, you for listening. Lots of love and gratitude. Mm-hmm.